0: episode 274 of the sleeper in the bus that is your tuesday edition coming off of a holiday and i am paul spore joined as always on tuesdays by an eno saris who is preparing to go to the yard tonight he will see astros a's we just talked about it offline so i'm not gonna make you repeat it all but i'm glad you had a fantastic labor day weekend how you doing Eno?
1: i'm doing good i'm doing good i'm glad to see that my uh my son's uh ginger on ginger high five to Sean <laughs> little uh Got him back in the closers' role, so I, I know there was some ginger magic that happened there.
0: I was gonna say, I, I, it has to be the link. Your son <laughs> meets meets Sean Doolittle. Before that, Sean Doolittle wasn't at his best, you know, kind of struggling a little bit. After he meets him, two days two days later, he gets his first save and he has the closers' role back. I don't I don't know how you could say that's coincidence. Now I'm not a heavy math guy, but I think that's pretty indisputable. Lock, so, <laughs> lockdown, rock solid fact that it was because of Felix meeting Sean Doolittle. So that's good. Anyone who was saving on, uh, hanging on to Sean Doolittle, um, if you listened to me and and you bought in earlier in the year and you held on. First off, I'm sorry that you held a slug on your on your DL for six months. I did the same thing, uh, always expecting him to come back. I think Jason and yourself were both a little cooler on him. I know Jason for sure were a little bit cooler on Doolittle coming into the season and uh you know obviously it didn't work out he just you know kind of a lost year but maybe he can close with a bang get a few saves We've got lots to talk about you know
1: well you know it, it, we might be able to segue to uh, you know jump ahead to one guy on the on the on the rundown because you know the shoulder what happened was um, you know a shoulder injury without surgery and and I think we're, you know, we're seeing this a little bit. It seems like a little bit more often where um, uh, I think shoulder surgery is just thought of as so as such a bad outcome. So devastating. That, that almost everybody, you know, everyone's trying to do everything they can to do something other than shoulder surgery. So, you know, even though uh, Doolittle had a slight tear in his rotator cuff, just didn't want to do the surgery, you know, rehabbed around it. And, you know, obviously there was some some fits and starts. And I wrote a piece today about how, um, you know, he he rehabbed according to a sort of a cookie cutter rehab shoulder situation. And then he found, you know, when he first came back that his rehab hadn't been necessarily uh correctly like all the way correctly tailored to what he did i mean there's some specifics that are in the piece but there's some you know there's some figuring out that has to happen you know exactly how i'm going to rehab and rehab from exactly my arm angle and this and that because what you're trying to do is is strengthen a lot of the muscles around it and since everyone's release is different everyone's got you know different muscles they kind of have to think about um, and and I think you saw you're seeing it a little bit with Drew Smiley. Exactly. Um, let's,
0: let's dive right into him because we are going to talk about some guys. We're kind of surging of late and and Smiley didn't have his best start yesterday, uh, so he's not quite at the peak of his no. surge after after that big start in Baltimore. But he's been he's been mostly good coming back off of that big layoff uh, for his last start was May 5th before the big layoff. And then Smiley returned on August 16th, a little bit of a rough start there at Texas, but then goes to Oakland for five and two thirds shutout little bit shakier against Minnesota and then that big start in Baltimore and then a little bit shaky in Detroit only had one start uh, at home out of the five couple good one kind of uh, actually couple great one kind of shaky, and then a couple bad. So it's been a little bit of a mixed bag, but I think he's contributing more than people thought, especially with a 10 strikeout game. And again, he eschewed going for the surgery. We thought initially it was going to be a season ender um, on Smiley's shoulder, but it hasn't been. And so, yeah, how, how do these two things link? Like you said, it's kind of different for every scenario based on the guy's delivery and, and, and how they're going to recover from it. But it's looking like Smiley's gotten past it because he's been more effective than not despite not getting the surgery and just rehabbing it.
1: Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, for it's also illustrative of the difference for a starting pitcher and a reliever where, um, you know, I think Smiley did the right thing in uh, spending longer uh, coming back, um, although um, I guess he kind of did the same thing, really. Uh, it looks like he, you know, came back for a little bit and then he was gone for a little bit and he came back again. Yeah, so,
0: there was uh, there was kind of a false start with him as well, if I recall, with Smiley. Yeah,
1: and I think that's probably, you know, I don't know. What, I can't speak to that. That That's a little bit weird. You'd think that you would wait, especially with the shoulder thing, you'd think you'd wait until they are absolutely sure. I mean, you know, in Doolittle's piece today, he talked about pitching with the break on. So he hadn't, you know, gotten past that hurdle where he was really letting it go. But maybe they thought... You Know everything's testing out okay. You know, let's you know, he'll we he won't let it go until he lets it go. But if he's throwing 80, 88, 89, I wouldn't, you know, that's not Doolittle, I wouldn't have put him back out there. So I don't know exactly what's going on there. Uh, but uh, for uh, you know, for Drew, the difference has been not so much uh, velocity because the velocity has been right back to where he was before. Um, I think that you'll notice that the cutter, the cutter has been hit around a little bit more and it has a little bit more of a slider shape to it. I think he must be getting around it a little bit. Um, He was at least early on and it wasn't getting that um, kind of uh, that boring, like horizontal movement uh, that he needs. He needs that because uh, that's going to get in on the hands of, uh, of uh, lefties and and give him a weapon against lefties. Um, And uh, you know, I think for him, uh, you know, using that cutter against lefties, the curve is a good one for either hand. I think that's, the cutter's really the, the important thing. And you can see that, you know, it changed uh, in horizontal movement early in the season. Uh, it was hovering, um, you, know, around, uh, uh, you know, around two, uh, one, one and a half inches of, of, of horizontal movement. Now it's up to three. And that's a little bit more like, you know, where it was before. So he's doubled his horizontal movement on the cutter and, uh, you know, that's the cutter, the, the one that's been giving out the most home runs this year. And if you look at his bad games, it's been home runs. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and, and uh, you know, in terms of, you know, walks and strikeouts, the strikeouts haven't always been there. That can be related to the cutter too. But, uh, you know, he, he's not walking a lot of people. So he hasn't lost, you know, his mechanics. He hasn't lost his command. It's, uh, it's mostly, it seems like one little pitch is, is here or there. And I, I, and I think if anything... That sounds like a cutter to me because cutters you get around the side of, you know, they're kind of a finicky pitch. So, um, you know, for him, it seems like more than the velocity and more than mechanics, it's been about refining his pitches. And you have to remember, that's another thing, Doolittle said, you know, I'm in, you know, the third week of March right now.
0: Exactly, and, and,
1: and
0: that's something I think that totally gets lost is that when guys come back they're kind of on a different track, especially if they've missed so much time like both Smiley and Doolittle have that you can't just expect them to come back and be the name that we expect. Smiley, a nice middle rotation guy. Doolittle, a dominant front line contending for the top spot kind of closer. They can't be that upon return. That's just not realistic.
1: And I think the smart move is what what Jason was saying was, you know, know, fade these guys. The, The smart move is to stay away from anybody who has a shoulder attached to his name. Until, I think, I think seminal standout performances are almost enough, you know, because we're not talking about a rookie who came up. You know, you know, think about Smiley's starting against Baltimore. You're not talking about a rookie who came up and held Baltimore. You're talking about a guy who's faced Baltimore a million times. Exactly. You know, and, you know, so and, he, and he's in Baltimore. That's a homer happy place. That's a that's a tough matchup. I mean, I bet you not a lot of DFS heads were picking him. Not a lot of even people with Smiley in there. Lineups were not necessarily playing him that day. And, um, <clears throat> and then he went out and, and pitched a gem and showed you that it's still in there. You know? And I think the same thing happened uh, in Doolittle. It's not necessarily uh, the one where he got the save, but um, the last three appearances, he's actually hit 95 um, in each of them. And he didn't even get close to that early in the season. No. So if, you, if, if, if you're then looking for a reason to hop back on a bandwagon and hop back on with a player... Um, you need to look for these sort of standout performances that show show good health. And uh, another good thing about Doolittle, since we're talking about relievers or starters, for Doolittle it was back to back performances. He had he had it, it, he had a, uh, a an appearance Sunday where he hit 95, and he came in for the save Monday and hit 95. That's so, what did it for
0: me, by the way. That's seeing yeah. the back to back was huge uh, for me in terms of of feeling confident in Doolittle. I, I put him back in some lineups this week. Um, you know, just hoping to kind of get lucky and, and, you know, he not just save on Monday, Hopefully, get a couple more to your point, one and two thirds innings uh, in his first two outings, gave up runs in both of them, no strikeouts, three walks, three hits, three runs. It was, it was not good. The velocity was way down. And then, four straight scoreless outings only one hit allowed in the four with six strikeouts and again the velocity on the rise now he's reassumed the closers role really wasn't much to take it away from i guess drew pomerantz was kind of holding it It was more of a hot potato that was you know uh, Mujica was kind of named and then that pomerantz kind of had it you know nobody's really had that since they uh who who did they trade? Why can't I think of who they had earlier in the year? Clipper, duh. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. They moved Clipper over to the Mets and and it opened the door, but there wasn't too many guys. There weren't too many guys to walk through it. Evan Scribner is a home run nightmare. Uh, Fernando Rodriguez, they they just didn't give him a chance, even though, you know, he had some, he had some decent stuff there, but, but the walks were super high. I mentioned Mujica. He kind of has done it before, but he's not special. They were just kind of waiting for Doolittle to get back. And I think they'll finish the month with Doolittle as the closer so if he is still available and you need saves that's a guy to go out and get uh although i assumed i I assume anybody with save needs has at least stashed him because that's what i was doing was hanging on uh for dear life hoping to snake a few but you know we got some other guys we need to speak about here uh before we before we get into our main topic which is going to be our top 10 starting pitchers for 2016 and again that's right now um Things can change. Things will change. Let's just call it what it is. Things are going to change, but it's a fun exercise. Let's see where we this, are. This,
1: this next guy is in my top 10, by the way.
0: This, this next guy, Josh Tomlin, you mean?
1: Oh, I thought you were going to talk Hap.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, hey. uh, yeah. No, I, I had to go back because we, we, we skipped to Smiley, so I had to go back to the yeah. top here. Josh Tomlin <laughs> has surged into Eno Saris' top 10 for 2016. <laughs> Book it, everybody. You can hold him to this one. There's other things are going to change. Ibra 255 and a .71 whip. What could go wrong? You know. Let me give you some of what Josh Tomlin's doing. Now, here's the thing. Josh Tomlin last year had some had some pretty solid skills. 8.1 strikeouts, 1.2 walks. Uh, you know, not too bad there. But 1.6 homers per nine and 10 hits per nine left him with a 4.76 ERA. So those skills were kind of uh, masked, or, or really, you know, the, the other parts of his game with the homers and the hits, the fact that he was too hittable rendered the the strikeout and walk kind of useless. Well, this year he's kind of repeating that, except that. The hits hits have come way down. He's got the 8.2 strikeouts again, even fewer walks at 0.8 per nine right now. So, you know, he's through the roof on K minus BB, whether you're doing percentages, whether you're doing strikeout to walk ratio at 10.7. It's all great. And so he's got those tremendous results. But, you know, there's danger signs here because the 1.8 homer per nine rate is, is right in line with last year's. I mentioned that the hits have come down. That's a 170 BABIP doing a lot of the heavy lifting and a 99% left on base rate. I mean, this is some reliever-esque kind of stuff, the BABIP and the left on base rate. And obviously it can't last. The home runs are terrifying. 32% hard contact rate is above normal and a 46% fly ball rate is, is severe. I'm terrified of this right now. I feel like the the hammer has to come. Maybe the season runs out before the regression catches up, and you kind of ride the hot hand. But where do you stand on on Josh Tomlin? I know he's top three for you. He's ahead of Grinky and, Kas- <laughs> uh, and and Kershaw, and your top ten for next year. But where do you what do you think of of Tomlin the rest of the way after this? You know, ridiculously quality five starts, but but some real scary numbers inside it.
1: Yeah, I don't really see enough uh, sort of component change to. Um... To you know, background change to to really believe in it. You know, he he's been slowly you know using the four seam more and the cutter less, which uh, you know I that you could say that's a difference. I mean, last year uh, year to year, um, you know, he went from uh, you know thirty one percent cutters to twenty six, and from forty five percent four seams to fifty one. So you know. It's it looks somewhat impressive on on a map, you know, especially since it's been a trend for about three four years now. At one point, he was using the cutter more than the four seam, um, and he's kind of gone away from that. But um, you know, just in terms of of what uh, what's like going on with that, like I don't think either pitch is good. Uh, In fact, I think the cutter is better. The cutter gets you know thirteen percent whiffs to the six percent whiffs on the four seam now. You know, you can't necessarily just throw the cutter over and over again. And he's giving up more homers on the cutter than the four seam this year. So um, maybe what he's found is that they're sitting cutter. And uh, even if the four seam is worse, he needs to throw it more in order to get them off the cutter. That That's, that's certainly possible. But, um, and, you know, and if you look at his, his pitch type stuff, you might get a little excited because he's, you know, 12% whiffs on the change, uh, 24% whiffs on the curves, 13% whiffs on the cutter. Those all look great. But, you know, whiffs haven't necessarily been the problem for him first. Uh, second, the four seam is super uh, straight, um, and uh, it goes at 88, 89 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. From the um, right so side, so you can't even yeah. fudge
0: that a little bit. If it was from the left side, you could kind of – it's just not as bad, but from the right side, that's,
1: that's really tough for Tomlin. Yeah, it's a bad pitch. It's and bad. the changeup whiff rate comes in 33 changeups, so that's just a kind of surprise pitch um the curve is i think decent the curve is probably his best pitch hasn't given up a homer this year gets you know double the whiffs you get from a normal curveball it's thrown it 67 times this year i mean it's it's a decent pitch the cutters okay but you know i don't see um you know i don't see a change in velocity a change in movement um, you know, and the change in, in usage is so small. And then if you look at his at his like traditional component stuff, the stuff that we you know normally look at in the past in terms of BABIP at 170 BABIP. Um, and uh, even if you want to regress that home run rate, where he's almost giving up two per nine, uh, you have to know that for his career he's given up one and a half per nine, and he has that bad fastball. So um, even if he keeps up this new strikeout rate, which he's had for two years um and keeps it striking out eight per nine he has great command that's great he's gonna give up a, a homer and a half and if there are more people on base because the BABIP is regressing um that's when you get your big whips and you yards. so
0: to, to, to that point six of the seven home runs that he's given up this year have been solo shots there you go which is not surprising at all uh yeah. when you're looking <laughs> at that BABIP and 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 the left on base rate and so yeah that's that's just kind of where he stands right now is that Tomlin has been, you know, pretty lucky. I, I I don't like to ever just put that on a guy and say, you know, it's only been luck that he that he's hot or whatever. But I really think that's the case when you're talking about these exquisite numbers with these skills. There's been some very good fortune here. I think with the skills that we're looking at, the best you can really hope for, even if these skills are real, because they're not bad. Like I said, the base ones, the the strikeout and walk rates, they're not too bad. I think the best you can really hope for. Is an upper three ZRA if everything else is kind of normal. And then you're playing with fire because you could get a mid four ZRA uh, in, in a couple swings of the bat because home runs are just so dangerous. So Tomlin's not a guy I'm really gonna touch. If you've gotten a couple of these starts, I honestly wouldn't hesitate to drop him outright. Um, I I get it if you maybe want to ride the hot hand, but if you're in a tight battle in ERA and whip, uh, and and you've gotten lucky with a few of these starts from Tomlin, you're pressing your luck if you keep him in the lineup. I can't imagine a scenario where I'm really – uh, riding, riding it out. What about you with, with Tomlin? Are, are you going to hang on? Let's say you've gotten the last three starts. You saw the first two in Minnesota and New York. and You're like, Hey, that's not too bad. Let me jump on board. And, and you've gotten these last three starts that have been pretty good, including a complete game, one run outing against Detroit in, in Detroit. Um, would you outright cut him? Would you try to ride the hot hand? Where, where do you, where would you be in a, let's say 15 team mixed with Josh Tomlin right now? Out out. I'm with you. Like I said, it, it, it's not even <laughs> really that hard for me to just cut him. Like I said, even if you got lucky enough to get a few of the stars, you feel good about it. Thank your lucky stars and and get up from the table because it will not continue. Let's jump into that guy that you, that you thought we were going to go to that really is definitely 100% in your top 10. I'm definitely not lying about that. You can quote me on that, folks. J.A. Hap is in – no, I'm kidding, obviously. But J.A. Hap is somebody you did want to talk about uh, because he's also – Pitching very well of late, and it looks like Ray Searage's latest reclamation project could be Hap. Now, this one I don't know that he'll get uh, as much credit for as as the others because this wasn't – I don't think necessarily to the depths of some of the other guys that uh, the Pirates have turned around that, that Searidge has gotten credit for. You know, Hap was never excellent. But um, he's only maybe once been been truly, truly awful in Houston. He had a 535 ERA, uh, a couple of mid four seasons as well. But that's not the end of the world awful. It's not good for fantasy, but it's, you know, it's kind of hanging around in baseball. Um, So, you know, 419 ERA for his career uh, for Hap since getting with Pittsburgh, though six starts, 157 ERA, 108 whip, uh, 32 strikeouts in 34 and a third innings. It looks great with, uh, with his new team here. Everything's going well uh, now that he's gone back to the National League. Are you buying this resurgence from Jay Happ?
1: Yeah, I think maybe a little bit. Uh, and here's why. And this might be a catcher more than, than, um, than coach because uh, I think the first thing, I don't necessarily think that a coach, the first thing he says to a guy that just acquired is, hey, by the way, we think, uh, stop throwing this and throw this and do this and do this. They th- they say, hey, get comfortable. Um, you know, you're going to be our fifth, sixth starter. We need you in that role. Um, Especially Searage, by he, the way.
0: He yeah, prides himself he can help, on, on you know. not changing guys too much. That's one thing because right. he said that he got changed a lot and that if he ever got in a role like this he said he wasn't going to do that and just try to rebuild guys or anything like that. Going to try to work with what works for them. So I totally agree with you there. So talk about maybe what the catcher transition is doing for for Hap now that he's gone over uh, and played with Francisco Cervelli because like I said he's been awesome and I'm with you. I kind of buy it as well because I was kind of high on him coming into the year. Jason and I liked him as kind of a sneak late pick. It got off to a good start but then cratered. He ended with a 464 ERA and a 141 whip with the Mariners in 109 innings before surging with the Pirates. So talk more about what, what's happening with him and Francisco Cervelli behind the dish.
1: Yeah, so you can see that uh, immediately, and it's just a, it's just like stark, immediate uh, change. When he got to uh, Pittsburgh, he immediately started throwing his four-seam more, um, his, change up, uh, his sinker and change-up, and cu- and curve less. So he started throwing his uh, his he'd been throwing his cutter a little bit more late in, late with Seattle, um, which might have been timed with the uh, I don't know uh, starts or you know something going on there. He started throwing his his cutter more in in June with Seattle. Mm. Uh, he continued using the cutter more, but immediately with getting to Seattle, he started throwing the four seam more, uh, almost abandoned the, the two seam completely, um, and is throwing the curve and change less. Um, which is, it's kind of a funny thing if you kind of, if you, if you look at, um, what he's done from like sort of a, uh, if you just look at an overview of his stuff, basically, right? Mm-hmm. You, you say, okay, here's a, here's a guy with, you know, exactly average fastball, four seam fastball, 90, 90.5 for a lefty. And, um, you know, a, a change without much drop doesn't look like a very good change, but the curve looks like it could be a decent pitch. 78 miles an hour, uh, you know, four inch drop, nice, nice little curve. You you might see uh, like a Drew Smiley type, right? Yeah. Uh, if you squint hard enough, you see 91 four seam curve and cutter, uh, got good rise on the four seam. So uh, I I think that is is kind of what they see in him. Um, and if you squint your eyes hard enough, you can actually you can see it too. Uh, because he does have that rise, eleven and a half inches of rise on the four seam is is actually impressive. That's uh, that would be top ten or so, um, uh-huh. and uh, and and so that's a good weapon to use against lefties. Uh, rising fastballs are really good for same-handed um, guys, um, and then the curve and the cutter would be his his main um, you know things against the other guys. You know, if you you have to squint your eyes a little bit though, because where Smiley gets you know outstanding whiff rates and results on his pitches. Hap uh, gets 10% whiffs on his curve for his career and 10% on the cutter, basically. And those are not um, very exciting. But on the flip side, he gets eight and a half, nine percent 9% whiffs on his four seam. And that's, uh, that's double almost uh, your four seam whiff rate across the big leagues. So um, he does, they, they kind of said, well, you know, let's think about what he has rather than what he doesn't have. And what he has is a really nice uh, rising four seam, a decent curve, uh, and a decent cutter. Um, maybe it maybe a maybe slightly plus cutter so that's what that's what they're having in throw that works know? and that that's 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 they're just like hey this is this is who you are now um, and uh, they don't have to tell him that they don't have to tell him anything they just you know there has to be a meeting with with uh, cervelli maybe maybe cervelli sees this right away because he seems like a really good game caller and and, and pitch framer so maybe it, you know maybe it's a Searidge, uh thing maybe it's a cervelli thing but um, in terms of Pitch mix, uh, you know, helping him out. Um, you know, he, he now he's gotten with the Pirates uh, almost a, a strikeout and a half more per inning. Uh, his whiff rate is up to league average um, overall. His command is better, probably because of the framing situation, and then uh, it's a good park for homers, so it's not surprising he hasn't given up a lot of homers. I see much more there than when I see when I look at Tomlin. In other words, you know, totally I, I see some some parts that are like, okay, I mean. If you want to be like talk about real life terms, I'd say he'd probably still a three, four, five type guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's more than what I thought before when he got traded uh, from Toronto to Seattle. I thought maybe uh, sixth, seventh guy, um, and and a three, four, five. You know, a four a four in in, in Pittsburgh is usable in a lot of leagues. I mean, exactly. where would? Uh, like in that 15-team league that we didn't use Tomlin, we would use him, right? I
0: w- I'm still using Hap in that league, absolutely. Uh, even, you know, 87% left on base rate. i got to be fair and point out that that's pretty exorbitant as well for Hap, and it's going to come down. But I'm not expecting a 157 ERA, so I'm okay with that. I feel like with Pittsburgh, with this team, with the way they're working, uh, Hap is somebody who can be a nice mid-threes ERA kind of guy, and if these strikeouts continue, he's at 23% with the club, that would be huge. I like that he's also bumped up his his ground ball rate. It's uh, with them. It's 45 uh, percent with the Pirates for Hap. Second highest he's ever had in any stint. The highest was a 47 percent mark back in 2012 when he started with the Astros. So you know he's always been kind of evolving his game or or, or kind of changing maybe looking for things to to, uh, click for him. You know, sometimes he has good strikeouts. Other times they're really low. Sometimes he's struggled with walks, and now these last couple years he's been pretty good with it. Ground ball rate's never been super high, uh, but there have been times where it's been kind of super low. So, you know, we've watched Hap kind of just go from different, to different thing with different uh results really because sometimes it never really been excellent but you know sometimes he's been good and i mentioned that one time that he was pretty awful but now i think he might be able to settle into a groove i don't know what his contract status is and how long oh yeah he's a free agent after this year but the way he's finishing they might consider resigning him and if he's some if he's in pittsburgh coming into next year then i'm with you he is the fifth best pitcher uh in baseball which i believe is what your list said when you sent it to me so we'll get into that later but uh i i, I do agree with you i'm still starting hap for sure uh in that, I mean, it's, in it's that hypothetical it's, 15 team mixed
1: is it you know whereas tomlin it's 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 weird because he's throwing his best pitch less um and and we have to sort of surmise why that might be good uh with hap it's a lot simpler he's throwing his best pitches more and his worst pitches less so exactly uh, you know, that seems like a, a decent way, at least for a short period of time. And he's, you know, he's moving back to the NL. Uh, it's been a long time since he's been in the NL. So, you know, at least for, you know, a half a year, year and a half, you'd think that, you know, his best pitches might be good enough to be decent.
0: Absolutely. Uh, we got another guy, who, these guys who are kind of on the fringe or, or, or were much worse actually earlier in the year, some of them, including this guy, Rick Porcello, who were on the fringes or or below – but now just kind of kicking butt down the stretch here. Rick Porcello has returned from the disabled list and pitched, uh, honestly, like the guy I thought he could be. When, you know, I, I've been a big Porcello proponent uh, for several years, obviously, former Detroit Tiger. I've seen a lot of his work. Always really liked him, but it's been a nightmare season for him in Boston. Still has a 512 ERA, even with the surge. His three games since the return of all been gems, 161 ERA, .94 whip, and 22 strikeouts in 22 and a third innings. It's only three starts out of 23, so... We can't make too much of it, but they're so good and they're so starkly different from the garbage that we saw earlier that it feels like it might be something here, especially from a guy who is talented and has had a lot of success in the past. What are you seeing out of Rick Porcello and and kind of give an overall assessment of his season? Obviously, it's been bad, but do you think it's something that he can that he can come out of or is this just not going to be a good fit in in Boston long term?
1: For one thing that it seems like they kind of they acquired him for the the pitcher they they, they thought he could be correct uh, well that contract rather, especially yeah rather than uh well i don't want i guess i don't want to speak for them maybe they maybe they said uh if he's the pitcher he's been that's great uh let's try and tweak it a little bit and see if he can be even better and then you know that's the difference between uh the contract being eh and the contract being, oh, that was a great contract because then he they tweaked him and he turned him into an ace. So, yeah. um, you know, at at the you know, at the, the um, age that he's at, twenty six, it's not that impossible to to see uh, a guy with a great sinker add maybe uh, a great four seam and, and and a little bit more of a um, approach for whiffs and then be a guy who could. You know, pair forty-eight percent ground balls with you know eight strikeouts for nine, and that's you know that's how you that's a close to an ace. I mean, I, if I, I haven't done a search right now, but if I think if you if you had those two things, you would you would be talking about front two pitcher for most teams. So, um, you know, I, I think uh, what happened was that when he went to the four seam more and he thought about strikeouts more, he just gave up more homers. I mean, that's that's it doesn't seem that impossible to say that. I mean, you, nope. you just look at. Yeah, you look at his pitching mix. He, he threw more four-seamers earlier this year than he ever has in his career. Um, and, uh, you know, he just he got blasted. You would um, think
0: in that park – He would want to he would have wanted to focus on on the same ground ball kind of capability that he showed in Detroit Detroit was more forgiving. The downside there was the the team defense uh, that maybe made him a little, you know, hesitant to keep throwing that sinker and and, and letting ground ball after ground ball kind of skip by the Ryan Rayburn's and and Johnny Peralta's of the world who are, are aren't blessed with range. But mm-hmm. um, obviously, it's a much better defensive situation in Boston. So I honestly thought, hey, he could he could get better with them. He could improve on that. What was it, a 3.43 ERA last year for Porcello. for Purcello. I thought, wow, this could this could go really well with the Xander Bogarts, Dustin Pedroia um, of the world playing defense for him. And obviously, that hasn't been the case. But now we've seen these three starts that look really good, and hopefully it's a sign of things to come. The, the ground ball rate is back up sharply in those three outings: 48, 56, and 52%. Interestingly enough, two starts before that against his former team, uh, the, the, the second-to-last start before he hit the DL, just a 21% ground ball rate. And I know it's only you know one game; we're not going to go crazy over any ground any rate of one game, but. Porcello is just not somebody who used to be in the 20% ground ball rate at all the guy had 50s and, and 60s for seasons at a time so it was really surprising to see him struggle so much with the ground ball I uh, never had a 60 I'm sorry I, I overspoke there just a bunch of 50s though. Always above 50, except for one year with Detroit, 49% in 2014, down to 44% this year with the ground ball rate for Porcello. So I think he needs to get back to the ground balls, um, even if the strikeouts aren't going to be great. If he can be in that 18 to 20% range, that's not elite, but with a 50 something ground ball rate, That that pairing definitely works. I still think there's a lot of talent here. I'm encouraged by these last three starts, but uh, obviously I'm not going to make any sweeping judgments and say, oh, he's fixed, he's ready to become or or get back on track to what he was. But it's definitely encouraging.
1: Yeah, and, you know, the the 2012 guy that um, was your steady Eddie, ground ball guy, uh, middle of the rotation, um, you know, final piece in a 12-15 team mixed league, just a guy – um, that you, you could use against certain offenses at certain times and, uh, or an innings guy in, in only leagues. That guy uh, that guy threw the sinker 50% of the time, 50 60 percent of the time mm-hmm. And you know he, he's, his eyes got big and he he's, you know he, he wanted to get better is another way of saying it. So he added the curve, he got more uh, whiffs and strikeouts and that took a little bit away from uh, his sinker and then um, you know he did that again last year. Then this year, he's, he's taking it to the, the, the furthest, which you know, he's throwing fewer than 30% sinkers, which um, he, he did that twice. He did that it was three months this year where he's throwing about basically 30% sinkers. He'd never gone that low before in his career. Oh, wow. So, you know, he just really got away from his bread and butter, which was the sink. I mean, the sinker is, is, is his thing. The last two months, 54% sinkers. So, uh, and what I also like is that you look at the vertical location of his four seams. And uh, as he's using less of them, what's happening is uh, the, the, the average vertical location on his foreseam is going up. What's happening is he's basically taken the one nice thing that he could from the four seam, which is the high foreseam to, um, to change eye levels and get a whiff, right? Mm-hmm. He's taken that and said, okay, that part I like. When I'm using the four seam inside, outside, low and stuff, why do that? You know, why do that? Why do that? That's going to get spanked. So... <laughs> you know, I'm gonna go back to sinkers low in the zone. I'll mix in the four seam high sometimes that maybe I've gotten better at it since. Um, and uh, you know, he, for what it's worth, he's also using the curve a little bit less. I don't know if that's gonna stick around or whatever, but in any case now, uh, it looks a little bit like, you know, what you might you might say the best of, you know, the two versions of him. So maybe there's still a chance that next year he's better. At the very least, I, I would project for him you know, um, something that looks uh, just like his career, like a 4 ERA, um, you know, a 1-2, you know, a 1-3 whip, basically, um, and, uh, you know, six or seven strikeouts per nine.
0: To your point regarding the homers with Porcello, and then we'll move on, um, he allowed two or more homers, so multi-homer games, 10 times from 2013 to 2014, uh, two in 2012 and four in 2013, 2014, he has nine this year. So, I mean, he's just getting pounded when he makes mistakes and he's got to fix that home runs. They're just so dangerous. And it kind of goes back to what we're talking about with with the Josh Tomlin. I think Porcello, since he's shown that, 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 this, that this isn't a chronic issue can definitely get better. Whereas Tomlin has always given up homers. Um, We've got another guy to talk about who's really turned his season around. There, there were bigger expectations for this guy, so it's more of a like uh, it's about time as opposed to oh that's surprising and interesting. Maybe we should jump on board. That's Ian Kennedy out in San Diego. Uh, obviously, being in San Diego alone really get, garners at least a modicum of intrigue if you're a starting pitcher, you know, with a pulse. Let alone somebody who's had some pretty good seasons like uh, like Kennedy. Well. It got off to just a wretched start. He had a 715 ERA through May. That was eight starts. By the way, incidentally, just a common thread among a handful of these pitchers, home runs are an issue, and Kennedy has always struggled with home runs. He gave up 12 in those eight starts uh, through the first two months. He's got a 2.84 ERA, you know, in his last 18 starts with 114 Ks in about 108 innings and just 16 homers. So uh, really started cutting the homers and things have really changed for him. The strikeout rate is way up too. 29% strikeout rate in the second half. He has just two starts with fewer than six strikeouts. So Ian Kennedy's really rallied to kind of turn his season around. He again. Um, Like Smiley, didn't have a great Labor Day, was kind of wonky a little bit yesterday, but uh, still got his ERA under four for the year, which is huge. Again, 7.15 through the first two months, kind of a long trek to finally get back under four. But where do you stand on Kennedy uh, for the rest of the year and going forward? Because he's also a free agent. So I know a lot of it's going to depend on where he signs and if it's a homer park. I imagine that he's going to understand kind of what he's dealing with and really focus on teams that have, have nice big parks. Maybe he goes over to Pittsburgh, uh, not even as a reclamation project, just as somebody who they know with his skills uh, in that park, with that defense, they could get a lot more out of. But where do you stand on Kennedy for the rest of this year?
1: Well, let's see here. He actually uh, changed – it looks like he changed uh, his position on the rubber um, in June. And, uh, you know, since he changed his position on the rubber in June, he's had – uh, 9.4 strikeouts per nine, 2.6, uh, 2.7 walks per nine, uh, 1.4 homers per nine and a two ADRA. Wow. Um, so, you know, this might be something that we didn't realize, uh, happened a little bit earlier. Um, and, uh, you know, what's, what's also interesting is he's, he's inching his way back to his hold uh, release point. So I, uh, it's not quite, it's nowhere near back. I mean, he really went from one end of the rubber to the other. I mean, he, it's about a foot uh, of a difference oh, wow. uh, in in horizontal release point, and you know he's inching his way back to uh, to where he's given about about half of it back. But you know that means he's he's fiddling with uh, um, easy things to fiddle with. I mean, just those are th- that's like something. It's like a grip. You know, it's like uh, oh, I'm just gonna you know stand from over here instead of over there, mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's hard to pick, like, uh, a moment then because he's kind of, like, sort of fiddling his way back, uh, it looks like. But somewhere along that line, he found a good place to, to, to st- stand on the rubber. And maybe that's after his last uh, two-homer game. And then, you know, then the homers for nine change and you're a little bit more like a one-homer per, per nine game, uh, one-homer per nine guy, which is kind of what he is for his career. Uh, other than a couple command blips... Uh, the strikeouts have, have been, really been back recently, um, and uh, he's getting a little bit more movement on his, on his pitches, but in general, I would say that he found a little bit of something on the rubber, um, and uh, you know, maybe the 1.7 homers per nine was a little bit unlucky for him, um, and uh, he just you know, got a little bit more usable when he got that down to you know, 1.2, 1.1 homers per nine, which is his career level.
0: Absolutely. I mean, here's the thing that that was a big bummer for me was last year when, you know, if I told you that you're going to get 201 innings of Kennedy with a 0.7 homer per nine, you'd be expecting big things. And, you know, 363 ERA wasn't bad, but I would have expected more considering he's only about 0.3 worse than that, despite adding a full homer to the mark this year. So Kennedy's an interesting case. Um, again, I'll be excited or interested, I should say, just to see where he, he signs next year and, and maybe there'll be some excitement if it is a a friendly situation, which can kind of cater to his fly ball tendencies because the Homer has always been a problem and and you go through and you look that, that huge year that he had with Arizona, it was a 0.77 Homer per nine rate. And, and when he has his best years, he's usually keeping the ball in the yard. You know, we got a lot of tweets over the Labor Day weekend, uh, you know, nice, nice tweets about the podcast saying, love the podcast. Please talk about Jake, Jackie Bradley Jr. again. So I know we've talked about him a couple times, but uh, we talked about him right around the time that he had that huge breakout game with Seattle. It was a five for six with five runs, three doubles, two homers, and seven ribbies. Usually that's like a hot week for somebody. That was a game for him in that 22 to 10 game or whatever it was uh, where they crushed Felix. That was the peak maybe, but it hasn't stopped since then. Bradley actually has a 393, 448, 803 line since then with nine doubles, two triples, four homers. He has just four hitless games out of the 18 that he's played. There's two other games where he came in as a defensive replacement and didn't actually bat. Um, And he's on an eight game hitting streak. I mean, he just continues to absolutely dominate though I, I think there are still tons of skeptics given what we saw from Bradley before that. I Again, I know we talked about him relatively recently, but we got to update because he's been so good. Where do you currently stand on Jackie Bradley Jr.?
1: I'm trying to see if you know, maybe he's gotten more aggressive, and we've talked about guys um, who walk a lot in the minor leagues coming up and thinking that they just need to not swing in the major leagues and, and uh, getting into bad counts and, and striking out. So... There's a little bit of something to that uh, right now. Uh, since he since he came up uh, the last time at the uh, end of July, um, you know, Jackie Bradley Jr. is swinging at 46% of the pitches he sees, uh, reaching it at 29. Um, and before that, so that's 46% swings. Um, and uh, before that, we found. Um, hmm. Let's see here. 46% versus 44%. So he's found a way to be more aggressive. His reach rate was higher before. Uh, so he's not reaching outside of the zone, uh, but he's swinging more. So he's basically swinging at strikes more. So, um, you know, that's one thing you see. You know, that's, that's something you want to see, uh, especially from a guy who – is walking anyway, you know, and we know he can walk. I think you want a little bit of aggression to stay out of those uh, two strike counts. And, uh, and, you know, the 26% strikeout rate is pretty bad, but um, you know, it's not, uh, if he keeps it there, he can be useful. But, you know, beyond that uh, it's really hard for me to, to say, you know, maybe he's pulling the ball a little bit more uh, and that's leading to more hard contact. But I, there's no way this guy's keeping up a 387 Babbitt. There's no way <laughs> this guy is gonna have a 319 ISO. There's just nothing that says he's gonna have standout power. Like, you know, the best you can hope for, I think, is like a 150, 170 ISO, where you know, over the course of a season, he's hitting you 15 homers. Sure. Um, if he does that, and that's not even a given. If he does that and pairs it with a strong on-base percentage. You know, I think he could be the kind of guy who hits, you know, yeah, you know, two seventy with like a three forty on base percentage, um, and like a 410, 420 slugging.
0: Okay, I mean that's not so that's not so bad.
1: That's something. It's not going to come with steals. No, uh, it's going to be better in on base percentage leagues where you you're looking at three forty instead of like the two seventy. You know, it's a it's a weird thing to use in center field, uh, if you're using the center field eligibility, but it'd probably be more useful there. Sure. In leagues that are OBP with center field eligibility. In terms of what's happening right now, I mean you can ride it out if you want. I just you know, when's that battery gonna start regressing? I mean, if you if you do a from now till rest of season uh, line, I just I'm not I'm gonna bet on the under for anything over two seventy five batting average. Or um, you know another three homers. Like if it's That's if he fair. hits another, if he hits 275 with three homers, I would feel lucky. No, I I, know?
0: I, I totally understand that. I'm, I'm a Bradley fan, believer guy, whatever you want to say, but I can't. I can't concoct a case to say that there's some, some, and you're worried about it, then you can move on. But right now I don't, I don't know that said, unlike Tom, and I would ride it out. I, I would go ahead and ride this one out and see what happens with it. Obviously, you know, maybe if he gets a run of, of over fours and you're in a big uh, OBP or, or average battle and, and you're worried about it, then you can move on. But right now I don't, I don't know that you can uh, try to move away from this or try, try to beat the regression because you could end up losing out because every time it seems like uh people want to put a cap on this hot streak for him he goes out and has another huge multi-hit game and in fact i heard some chatter about it last week about no you know this is finally going to run out he's done and then he goes out and goes four for four on on monday so it seems like i said every time it seems like this has to slow down right no just another huge signature game for for bradley so you know he's going to stay in the lineup because of that defense that defense definitely helps um I like where your head's at though. You know, if he can be like a 15 home run guy and decent LBP that with a quality team score some runs, unfortunately if he ran more, it would really be a much more appealing, uh, you know, profile, but I still think there's, there's at least a uh, above average quality here. Um, Definitely not this elite superstar. This is not some superstar in the making. And I wouldn't use this August and September if he continues, um, as, as some sort of springboard to say,
1: well, Hey, next year, uh, most years, but, uh, would, uh, walk enough and, and play fantastic center field. And this isn't, I don't think the profile that I'd look for for uh center fielder, you know, yes. like, uh, like a guy who, you know, wouldn't have the greatest numbers uh, most years, but, uh, would uh, walk enough and, and play fantastic center field. And this isn't, I don't think, the profile that I'd look for, for for breakouts. You know, as he went up in the in the minors, he struck out more every year. Uh, so it's not surprising at all to come to the bigs and strike out even more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he struggled a little bit with the pull thing. I guess, I, I just looked again, he's he's actually, he pulled a lot when he came up earlier, and now he's going off more, and maybe that's um, more his style. But... You know, a guy with uh, with opposite field power but doesn't have opposite field power like Joey Votto, um, that uh, sounds to me like maybe he can run some high babbits. Like, that could be possible. I mean, this is a guy who, who's got the legs for it, doesn't hit a lot of uh, pop-ups, and likes to go oppo. So, you know, if you want to say for his career he's going to have, like, a 325, 330 babbit, um, that that might improve some of the numbers. But it also – doesn't suggest that he's going to have like a 220 ISO ever. So
0: no, that, that that's the thing. This, this power is kind of coming out of nowhere. It's a great hot streak. Enjoy it. But until I see some real skills change, again, it's hard to really say that this is, this is for real or even has some, some 70% realness or whatever you want to say. So uh, just be careful with Bradley, keep monitoring him, keep him in your lineup. And maybe, you know, again, if you're in a tight race where you can't afford a bunch of over fours and he, and he strings together four or five, maybe then you sit him. But for now, I'm riding this hot streak. Speaking of a hot streak, we got another guy who's on one already. It's very small because he's only been here for five games, but Corey Seager. Gotta get an update on him. We talked about, hey, you gotta go get him just because of what could be. Uh, I said I don't know where the playing time is. Are they really gonna start him? Um, and it looks like they are. So the, the playing time so far is there for Seager. He started four of the five games that he's been up for the for the Dodgers, and he pinch hit in the other game so he's been in all five he started two at short two at third a killer 333 400 500 line with some really sparkling defense made a huge play yesterday at shortstop basically throwing from behind third base by the time he got the ball uh to get Pujols out it was really incredible do you think this playing time is going to last because if it lasts we could be in for a nice huge month out of Corey Seager I just didn't think that they were going to put him in as a full timer so far he has been
1: Yeah, you know, I've been really surprised by that. And I think the most surprising thing for me has been the shortstop uh, starts because if that opens up uh, for him, and it has, um, then, you know, then even the worst-case scenario gets better. You know, and it's not like, you know, the worst-case scenario before we we said was he'll start a lot of games, everyone will pick him up, and then uh, when Turner and Peraza are healthy, then he's kind of like, you know, second or third on the depth chart at both second and third base. Uh, But, you know, the worst case scenario now is that he's basically second on the depth chart at second, third, and short. Um, And that changes everything because then you, you know, you go from, you know, two or three games a week to maybe three or four games a week, maybe even five games a week, you know. And then you're talking about Corey Seager is going to be as valuable just in terms of playing time as – uh, maybe an Andre Ethier type, you know, like a platoon guy, you know, that does take a couple games off. Mm-hmm. And since his ceiling in terms of production when he's in there is so high, um, you know, you're talking about just a, like like the, one of the best platoon guys. And then given his all, all of his different eligibilities, you're talking about the best uh, platoon guy in, in baseball going forward. So, uh, I mean, and I'm not even talking – I mean, he's a lefty, so – Maybe that's going to be some of what happens. But I'm not even talking about platoon by handedness. I'm just talking about, like, that's his playing time. His playing time. Maybe we should consider his playing time on the level of these platoon guys. And, um, you know, as far as his performance, it's been great. Uh, I would say that the swing strike rate probably predicts a little bit higher uh, strikeout rate going forward. But uh, he's taken a couple walks, and he just generally looked really good. Absolutely. He's, he's really impressed. It's a tiny sample, but so far Seager's playing every
0: day. And, and that's huge. All right, you know, that, that wraps up our, our you know news and guys to cover kind of thing. I Now want to talk about our top 10s for next year. So far, our top 10 starting pitchers for each of us. And we'll go 1 to 10. We'll start at the top as opposed to counting down because I don't know that there's going to be too much craziness up at the top. So I think it's actually going to be a little bit more exciting the deeper we get in. Like how much do we really need to talk about Clayton Kershaw? But uh, I think it will start to get – interesting maybe once we even get to four or five and and beyond so let's just kind of go back and forth here our top 10 starters for next year we'll start at number one i do have kershaw do you still have him as the number one starter for next year yeah now the question that i have the one the one question i will ask because again we don't really need to describe how great he is is he a first rounder for you
1: yeah we talked about that a little bit and um someone uh, on twitter made a uh, a compelling case uh, that he was that he has more year-to-year stickiness um than a lot of hitters and he was talking about how um you know of last year's first round hitters only two or three managed to to retain first round status um i think i'd want to look at that a little bit more and talk about worst case scenarios did the how many of the people that fell out of the top uh, you know three the, the top first round that were batters how far did they fall mm-hmm. uh, you know how much did you lose on it uh, versus versus high round pitchers um, it's it goes to this argument that some people believe that the that the top pitchers have more year-to-year stickiness and uh, so their projections are less volatile and that a lot of the pitcher, a lot of the projections um, volatility for pitchers is about the uh, guys at the bottom where, um, you don't know how many innings to give them. You don't know how, you know, you know, what their role will be. Um, so that's fair, I think, because if you do think about it, Madison Bumgarner is good every year. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, that, that the, the, a lot of these top guys have been good every year and a lot of the volatility in pitching could come from, um, the, the kind of $1 guys, um, uh, you know, to, to put them in a different, you know, to put in the fantasy term. So um yeah i guess i would feel good about it i think i'd probably feel better about it uh later than most so he probably won't be my first round pitcher but if i uh but maybe you know i'd feel pretty decent about him like 11 through 15 uh because i I do i think there has been sort of a gathering storm of young bats that fit into the top 10 some leagues manny machado is going to be a Yes, and uh, you know having Manny Machado and Carlos Correa as these two great shortstops are just going to be uh, that's that's already going to fit in with a lot of the veteran bats, and I think that's going to get me to ten pretty easily. So, yeah, I, I'll give him first round status. I I can't I just can't pick like I can't pick him I can't pick him ahead against like a Carlos Correa. You know, as much as that sound, might sound ridiculous, I, Carlos Correa hasn't done you. anything. but He has done something. He's shown me that he 's going to be an awesome shortstop, and he 's young and and he 's in a good park and i just i don 't see injury his i don 't see an injury thing with him so um yeah anyway long answer uh, you got short answer is a yes first round late first round um,
0: so we I did a similar exercise uh, like this on, on a different podcast i do with with Doug Thorburn, where we were doing our first rounds, not our top ten starters i didn 't get Kershaw in, but he was right there on the cusp. Almost verbatim the reasons that you stated, so I don't need to go over that. Maybe in a couple of weeks we'll do our first rounds and see if mine's changed at all and get yours on, on, on the uh, on the docket there. But uh, I, I hear you. I think there's just too many young hitters that kind of push them out. At the same time, I wouldn't clown it anybody for taking kershaw so i get it but for me i did have uh 12 guys that i that i preferred and they were all hitters
1: let's jump to if no- you're talking, like if you're talking about late first round maybe a guy like jose bautista is a late first rounder i have to look again but if you are talking about like a guy versus like jose bautista i'll take kershaw because he's younger and you know, Bautista has a risk of his own. So Certainly. anyway, we'll, yeah, we'll get into that.
0: Yeah, we will definitely get into that uh, in the coming weeks because I'd love to hear where you're at because I think it's really exciting this year. There's a handful of guys at the top that you can kind of jumble up, Goldschmidt, Trout, Harper, however you kind of want. But then after that, it's wide open, I think. So I'll be very fascinated to hear yours. Let's get back on the pitchers here. Who's your number two guy right now?
1: I think it's still Max Scherzer. I mean, people are talking right now about how his release point's down. It's only down about one or two inches. Um, and, uh, you know, that has flattened some of his stuff out. It's probably more hand position than, than arm, uh, um, as uh, one reader pointed out. But uh, in any case, there's something there. We've always talked about injury risk with Matt Scherzer. Um, you know, there's, there, there, that might have gone away, or maybe it'll come back, you know, uh, and then we'll, then we'll get a lot of told-you-sos from one crowd. But um, uh, as far as, you know, body of work, being in the National League, uh, he stayed healthier than Chris Sale, who has the same amount of, of uh, issues. And then Zach Greinke has had some uh, health issues and just doesn't also have the strikeout rate. So um, I think that's the the big the tough one for me is Scherzer versus Greinke. I, I hear you. Can you
0: really? I told you so. After you know a Cy Young season, yeah. three three elite seasons in a row, um, and then two other really good seasons before that, and only and two- most importantly, like you know. Eight
1: like a thousand innings, <laughs>
0: fourteen hundred and twenty nine right now, and including no fewer than hundred and seventy since he became a full time starter. That was his very first year, and then it's Buck ninety six, Buck ninety five, one eighty eight, two fourteen, two twenty, and already one ninety this year. Obviously going to eclipse two hundred. So yeah, even if Scherzer did get hurt and someone tried to come with, and I told you, so I'd be like, oh wow, good one, dude. I mean, honestly, <laughs> if you call injury for any pitcher and you just wait long wait, enough. Okay. <laughs> you will be right. I don't know that that necessarily qualifies as what I would consider correct, though. You just kind of waited right. it out. Um, yeah, Scherzer's my number two as well. Don't really need to go into anything more than what you said. Let's jump to the number three because, like I said, I think it's, I think I know who it's going to be. But then after three, I think it will really start to open up. Who's your number three? Is it Chris Sale? No, actually I'm going to go okay. Greg. Okay, so you're going to go Greg. Oh, oh, yeah, uh, you said you had a tough time between those two. so Greg Scherzer sure,
1: was the hard one for me uh sale i got i love him to death and um you, to some extent you could say 850 innings is good enough to 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 do the same thing and say that people were wrong about injury but uh he's been on the disabled list That's and he's true. had scares he, he's had little scares and he's he's had little moments where even when he was pitching the the production and the movements and the 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 the, the stuff that was going on on the field didn't look that great in terms of um, movement and what was going on with his his, his stuff. So uh, I just I, I'm a little bit I, I don't know that uh, that I'm going to ding him a lot. I think I'll just push him down to four.
0: Uh, okay, but, then uh, that's then we have the same three four just mixed because I've got Sale at three, Grinky at four. Talk to me a little bit about
1: Grinky uh, because well he's a little bit older, but he's just and and he's had some injury scares of his own. But you know at least one of them was caused by a, a dude. Tackling, him. blasting
0: him. a huge football <laughs> yeah. player-sized baseball player named Carlos Quentin, uh, absolutely he did just play
1: football at Stanford. I think huge. So.
0: That's not. There's no surprise there. I didn't know that, but that's not not surprising because he's massive and he went out there on that hit by pitch, charged he him, blew him up, barreled right into him, absolutely exploded him, and that was the end. In- yeah. So that's. But he
1: also, you know, I love the new hard changeup from Greinke. Um, I love that uh he changes a little bit every year and he change you know he's willing to go with the cutter for a while and then he went away from it and now he's got the hard change i think he's he's changing a lot and he loves the national league i mean the last 3 years in the national league uh just even without the the two strikeouts or three strikeouts that sale will give you mm-hmm. uh for nine just you know the the his ERA for the last three years is like 220.
0: It's, the, the ratios are just over the top. And again, it's not it's not even just this year. The 168 uh, awesomeness, 263 and 271 the years before yeah. were just so good. So add it all up. It's a 234 uh, with a 104 WHIP in 573 innings.
1: That's huge. Yeah, I, was, I was guesstimating, but that's that and that, it's the value of the National League too. Uh, sure. And I think that'll. That can also probably help uh, people stay healthy a little bit. I mean, how many – you know, what we talk about a lot of times with health is that, you know, not every pitch is the same. That's why these innings that people were talking about with Harvey is is kind of like, what are you talking about? Because, uh, you know, an inning is – every inning is not the same and every pitch is not the same. And, you know, you have to think that throwing in three pitches to get a three-pitch strikeout of the pitcher is – almost shouldn't even be considered pitches and outs and in, in parts of innings. You know right? what I mean? It's like, no, absolutely. how many times you've seen, you know, the pitcher like audibly sigh of relief, you know, <laughs> when like the dude steps to the plate and just takes that awkward looking stance and you're like, Oh, the pitcher.
0: Oh, okay. Whew, got a break here. Yeah. And sometimes the pitcher looks back at the umpire after strike two. Like, can I just leave? I mean, I'm the, <laughs> I'm, I'm, we're done here. Right. Can I, can I leave? Okay. I can't by rule. I can't. Okay, fine. Uh, I'll just flail at this last one. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. I love Grinke. Uh I did put Sale ahead. Just the, the strikeouts. I'm just such a strikeout whore. I do agree. You know that the we're not past the point. I do think. I do think it'd be tough for the for the. I I told you so's to come if he did get hurt because he's been so elite now for four seasons. But um, I do think the injury concern, the injury scare, is still there for sale, just because we've had some injuries, and uh, he is still gangly as hell, and uh, <laughs> you know has some interesting mechanics, dude. Not bad, but just has some interesting mechanics. Um, so that 20, he's going to be 27 year old, years old next year. Granky is a little bit older, going to be what 32 next year. That's still not old though. So I I love Granky. I got those two, three, four. Uh, and Salem Grinky, let's jump to five real quick. Who have you got at your number five spot for next
1: year? I think this is where it gets. This is where it gets really hard. This is where it completely
0: opens up. We could have a lot of differences here.
1: Yeah, and I think the three names that I'm looking at uh, that make it so difficult, uh, kind of encapsulate, maybe even four, encapsulates why it's so difficult. Is your this is this is right where you get to the declining ace versus the emerging you know, young ace. guy. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, your your level of information on the declining ace is huge. And, you know, by nature, you have less information about the younger guy. Um, and so you have to you're weighing, you know, different amounts of information versus the likelihood that one is on the way up and the other is on the way down. So um, I think, you know, some people will say you're crazy for putting these all in the same in the same bucket. But like, um, you know, taking a guy like, let's say, Madison Bumgarner. Uh, or Felix Hernandez, right? Mm-hmm. And then putting them up against uh, uh, Garrett Cole and Jacob deGrom. Like, that's my next foursome for me. Maybe Chris Archer's in there, too. Um, and Chris Archer is actually kind of in between the two, right? He's not Cole or, or deGrom, but he's also not Felix or, or Bumgarner yet. So uh, he's kind of in between. Maybe I should just pick him because of that. But I, I, I'm feeling enough of a decline out of Felix Hernandez that uh, – I'm willing to bump him down below some of these guys. I, I no? did.
0: I, I bumped him,
1: well, kind of well
0: below them. Uh, uh, Hernandez didn't make my top ten, and it's. I don't. I'm not trying to overreact to this year. It's not really so much about Hernandez. It's about that group that's bypassed him. I think there is the the group of emerging aces that have bypassed. Uh, have bypassed Hernandez here mixed in with some of the some of the issues that we've seen this year Granted, it's still not a bad season A 365 ERA is obviously not ideal But he's still got you 16 W's and counting uh, a 117 whip and I mentioned the W's because they are still fantasy relevant uh, we're, we're not banking a, any decisions off of wins, but he's still logging them um, You know the, the strikeout rate has dipped, but it's not the end of the world 167 strikeouts in 175 innings So there's still been a lot of good but he's going to be 30 next year he's got 20 he's going to have about 2,300 innings on his arm at this point Um, I I just had some other guys I like better so he was he was right on the outside looking in for me with Hernandez which I know seems crazy but that that's that's where I'm at with it and I have a lot of those same names that you have right here in this next group the one name that you didn't mention that I really like who's in my cluster here is Jake Arrieta and I'm, I'm really buying in on what we've seen out of him the last two years. Arietta had a 2.53 ERA last year, a 2.03 ERA this year. Rock solid skills to support it. Two WHIPs uh, below one in you know each of those seasons. So I actually have Arietta as my number five right now, which you know might seem crazy, but I. I love what I've seen from him, and I think it's going to hold. I've got Bumgarner at six and Degrom at seven. So that's my five, six, seven there. Arrieta, Bumgarner, Degrom. You mentioned also Cole right there. He's my eight, and then Archer's ten, and then I have Price in between them. So that's how my my bottom five uh, goes there. Or I guess that's my bottom six. What do you think of Jake Arrieta? Did he get any consideration? Where, where's he? Where's he for you?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, I, I wanted to throw him in the mix because it, I think the top five is way more clear than the bottom five of the top 10. So, uh, you know, I do think with Hernandez, you know, com- going from 94, 95 averages on his fastball. Now he's 91, eight, uh, you know, lowest, lowest fastball velocity of his career, uh, 29 years old. Um, and at some point you wonder, like, does do the innings that make you an ace start to count against you? You know, like, well, like, Verlander. At some point, like, Oh, he's, 200 innings every year at some point you go oh god 200 yes. innings every year uh, she, so. it happened
0: to shields in the free agent market this year i think
1: yeah. i think it,
0: i think it started to be used against him as like a instead of you know saying how much of a workhorse he is it was oh look at those innings piling up and like i said verlander too i think you know when he had his bad year last year everyone started to look toward the innings the innings that made him an ace and say well The mileage is through the roof. Uh, How can he possibly be good again? And, you know, he's gotten back on track Has Verlander. So, yeah, I do think it's that weird thing where you get to a certain point where the scales tip. And instead of getting credit for being a 200-inning workhorse, people start to ding you. Um, And so, you know, I'm I'm trying not to fall in a trap of of overreacting on Felix. But I I feel comfortable with the names I have here. I think it's just rich it's just a rich pool that there's it's hard to make a lot of distinctions between these guys too i think you can have a lot of different orders without anyone really questioning it
1: yeah but i think it's important to kind of think about to frame this within the the context of like you know age versus youth and 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 how much to to factor in an aging curve when you're when you're uh project i mean obviously the protections are gonna gonna have these in them and so it's You know, that's why we it's good to start with projections because projections have baked in aging curve stuff Mm -hmm. and help you get a sense of that. But when you see a guy like Felix Hernandez, you know, hurt his ankle and then, you know, watch him, you know, stay out on the field for a bad franchise that's not winning games um, and continue to pitch, you know, even in blowouts uh, when he should have been taken out earlier in the game, you know, with weird arm slots and stuff like I I'm not sure that the Mariners are going to treat Felix. Um, they're not going to treat him with kid gloves because they don't think they have to, but maybe you should be starting to treat your 30 year old uh, a little bit more um, you know, carefully. So uh, if you think about how they, they've treated him compared to how like the pirates have treated Garrett Cole, we now think that Garrett Cole maybe has a whiff of injury about him, but how much of that was just the pirates being very cautious about their young guy?
0: I, I think, and- I think it's a big component to be honest.
1: Yeah, and I and if I if you know and I don't know if it's just bias or whatever, but I kind of uh, I, the way that they've babied AJ Burnett, you know, through the last parts of his career, the way they've kept Francisco Liriano healthy, Francisco Liriano, Francisco
0: Liriano, Liriano. <laughs> yeah, they've so, kept him as a healthy stud, Francisco right. Liriano,
1: yeah, if, the guy who couldn't pitch like 110 innings before he got there. So uh, I'm I'm willing to push Cole up there. And DeGrom, you know, has had one surgery and, and, and the second surgery is, is really bad. And there's a Tommy John honeymoon. So there's, you know, a little bit more. I think there's more risk uh, there with DeGrom. Um, but, you know, in terms of performance, he's up there with Cole. So I might, I might ding DeGrom just a rank behind Cole. But I, I think I would uh, – it's the risk of, of being too wide-eyed for, for youth. But I think I would go uh, Cole DeGrom Archer. Um, after Cole, Greinke
0: DeGrom, Archer, I'm okay with after
1: that. Sale. After Sale, so that'd be, that would be Cole uh, Cole six, Degrom seven, Archer eight, um, and then for 9, and then I guess uh, Bumgarner and um, Bumgarner doesn't ha- is not as old as Felix, and um, I don't think has many has many warning signs. So yeah, even if his upside isn't as good as Felix's, I'm 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 feel better about putting him nine. So then it's uh, then the last bunch for me is a scrum between Arietta uh Arietta Price and um I mean you could you could bring Sonny Gray up there uh Matt Harvey maybe um uh you know I think Arietta belongs above those guys mm-hmm. the only reason that Arietta fell to 10 for me uh was that he used to be uh an injury risk and maybe that's gone but they were uh I don't know you just have to remember that there were four years in a row when he couldn't crack 120 innings. Certainly, and then,
0: and that's 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 totally fair. Um, I love that, that that you were aggressive on on the youngsters, DeGrom, uh, Cole Degrom and Archer. There, my initial run was, and and then I. I Rethought it and I, I got a little bit more conservative and bumped Bumgarner back up because originally I actually had Bumgarner at nine, um, he and Price down there at the bottom, and then I put I put the veterans, I moved him up just a little. Uh, actually, no, Price stayed at nine, but Bumgarner jumped up to six there. Just look at what he's done. He's been so good. He's only going to be 26 next year. It's not. I, I think he's almost, like, punished for how consistently excellent he's been because it doesn't stand out, but it's the same thing every year. And the strikeouts are on the way up uh, for four years running, and the walks are on the uh, on the way down three years running, and you're you know almost guaranteed for 200 innings this will be his fifth year in a row with it. I mean, Bumgarner's just so nasty and so good that, uh, yeah, I, I got him there at six over some of those
1: he's youngsters. Under, he's under contract with um... – He's under contract with with his team, so you, there's a, a little bit less of a, um, a worry maybe that uh, it won't translate to another park.
0: Yeah, volatility of leaving. You don't have to worry about as much. I, I, I like I like that too. Um, there are some guys. You know, you mentioned Price. Obviously, he's going to have a new team or, or at least a new contract. It might not be a new team. It might, he might re-sign with with the Blue Jays. But that that can be a little bit of a concern if he goes, you know, somewhere that isn't qu- quite as good. But as it stands right now, um, I'm operating under the assumption. I think Toronto's actually. And out.
1: Honestly, I think I'll, I would. I think I would put Price in ahead of Arrieta too. I I just I can't I can't uh, forget. That, that, that easily that uh, there was another Arietta before. Oh, it was it was
0: it was a busted. You know, not not going to be anything Arietta, and, right. and he's really turned it around. And yeah. Price
1: has been excellent his whole career, and it's, it just seems less. Um, I mean, and then, you know, in the meantime, Arietta got old too, right? So Arietta is not. Um, you can't say you know Arietta's young and Price is old. What you're talking about is Arietta's 29 and. Uh, price is thirty. So, yeah. you know, given how price has been consistently excellent and healthy through those thirty years, uh, versus Arietta being a little bit more up and down, I think I think honestly, I think Arietta would be like a, an eleven for me, and I think I would feel much better, um, you know, placing Arietta in among um, you know the sort of Kluber, um, uh, Sunny Gray. Uh, Matt Harvey uh, group. Give me your uh, two guys that you had the hardest time leaving out. It would be it would be Arietta, and um, yeah, I think Sonny Gray. Just because Sonny Gray added that slider this year, um, he'll at least start the year with. Uh, oh, well, maybe he won't.
0: Do you think he'll have the K's to 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 be? Because I didn't I didn't get him in there, and I didn't even really have him on my on my handful of honorable mentions just because. He's kind of—he hasn't performing exactly how I expected. I expected um, a little bit higher ERA, but the reason I didn't love him coming into the year is I thought the price tag was too high for the Ks we're gonna get. But the ERA and WHIP have been so good that it doesn't even matter that he's been a 7.3 strikeout per nine guy. Uh, he's definitely been elite, but I think. Once that regresses kind of to you know mid threes, low threes area without the strikeouts, it's hard for me to consider him a top ten ace level type. And you didn't put him in the top ten, but I didn't even really have him kind of on the door knocking. The the two that were really tough for me were Harvey um, and and honestly Dallas Keuchel was really tough for me to leave out because he's been uh, he's been excellent this year and obviously he was great last year, but he's he's been even another two levels better this year, including the fact that you know. Next time I hear – every time I have to hear about how he doesn't strike guys out, I want to punch that person in the mouth. Like I don't know why that's carrying over from last year. I know he doesn't have the strikeout per inning or the 13 strikeouts per nine that like Chris Sale has or whatever craziness that he's got going, but we're talking about a guy who, who – Definitely gets enough strikeouts, especially when you 're talking about that ground ball rate for Keuchel. you don 't have to have the the nine ten per game when you' when you're rocking a sixty two percent ground ball rate and the fact is he 's at eight point three for the year and he has a twenty nine percent strikeout rate. I know I just went from percentage to uh, to caper nine, but he has a twenty nine percent rate since the break which is ninth best and he's at 27 percent dating back to may 30th so you know he's been getting strikeouts for the bulk of the year um so i really like keichel i i but i couldn't really get him in it was just too tough to get him into the top 10 but he was somebody i, I struggled with and really wanted to get in there uh so those are my two harvey as well I, mm-hmm. again it just came down to there, there's just so much talent i i don't even know i, th- I honestly think by the time i get 2016's official list going I I could really see Harvey getting in there I guess I just gotta maybe I just gotta watch him in the playoffs dominate and then and then I'll get I'll get excited enough to put him back in the top 10 but maybe I'm sour on him for the for the annoying story over the weekend of 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 his innings limit and I'm punishing him by leaving Uh, him at 11 I'm saying listen uh, you know
1: another guy I think deserves a little bit of love is Michael Walker yes that Uh, he's
0: my 13 so that they were 11 12 and 13.
1: And then Noah Syndergaard has just has been has been fire and um, and he he won't really have an innings uh, situation next year, uh-huh. um, so I, I think those are and if you think that we're like you know looking past some guys, I do think there might actually be uh, a bit of a tier here, um, and and I'm not I, I wonder if I'm going to adjust next year and maybe try to get a top ten ace uh, in my leagues and then try to get. Um, you know a bunch of 5 to 10 dollar guys uh, to stay out of the dollar guys so uh, because you know when you look at like Lester, Hamels, Cueto, Carrasco, I Salazar. mean Salazar these guys all seem like very like like sure like not the same tier like not like I'm like even when we're talking about Harvey like I wouldn't want to put Harvey in the same tier as Carlos Carrasco you know mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's injury risk, and there's homer risk, and command risk, and velocity loss. Danny Salazar just barely putting it together. Um, You know, Liriano played well, but, you know, year to year, the innings.
0: And he hasn't – and, and, you know, he's playing and he's pitching – but his performance has degraded as the innings have piled up, which is, it's fine and acceptable. It's just that Liriano was, if we had done this, say at the all-star break, Liriano was probably somebody that would have at least gotten a lot more discussion. But right now it's just hard to do it. It's hard to say, especially at 32 next year. So I'm with you on somebody like a Liriano. Yeah. So. It's just too hard. But yeah, there's a lot of names. Um, it's a, it's a fun exercise. We will revisit it again, probably in November after we get back from, from AFL, uh, and, and the and the baseball HQ first pitch forum there where we where we get our our baseball fix in the in the winter there I guess it's the fall the winter doesn't start until December so yeah we'll we'll do it again then and then of course we'll be doing plenty during the off season but you know I know you got to get to the yard so we'll go ahead and let you go we'll be back on Thursday talking about something I don't know what yet so I can't really uh, tease it but it'll be something and it'll be baseball related you know I hope you have a great day and I'll talk to you in a couple.
1: All right see you.